The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, welcome. It's a May day, I guess it's the 4th of May recording this, and with me is uh, Max Wagner. Hi, Max. Hi, Rob. Great to be here. We're going to talk about fully funding the nation's ocean program, and in the second half, saving the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. So, um, we're going to go, yeah, go ahead. Should I start here? So, Rob, why don't you just start by telling us, what is the Blue Vision Summit that we've been hearing about? Right. So, we're preparing to go to Washington, and uh, the Blue Vision Summit is uh, annual or every two years. Uh, people from all from ocean conservationists are coming in from all over the country to speak out to congressmen about ocean conservation issues. You know, we don't want any oil drilling. We want better managed fisheries. We want to address, you know, ocean acidification. And a big issue is um, fully funding ocean programs. Mm-hmm. And now I know we have a number of different meetings that are set up. So... Would you say that there's one that's our most important meeting? Yeah. So I've been, as you know, I've been working with. Uh, uh, we have. I've set up uh, about 12 meetings with senators and congressmen. So there's a party from Massachusetts of about 12 of us who are going to be walking the hill to meet with senators and congressmen. And uh, I'm most excited. Well, I'm always excited. I don't want to play favorites, but uh, we're going to be seeing. Um, uh, Adrian, Adriana at um, Senator Patrick Leahy's office, and I'm particularly interested in that meeting because Senator Leahy is the senior Democrat for appropriate the Committee on Appropriations, and they important are the guy, one, important guy. Yeah, because appropriations set up the budget for um, for two, the, the next budget, and um, the Congress is responsible for the budget, not the president. Um, so, so now I'm going to ask you about what we've been doing with the president. Um, so, the, the big the big item on the uh, agenda here is to. Um, oh, you've been working a lot on on NOAA and how to get funding for NOAA. What? what yeah, yeah. Um, so, what happened is in March, President Trump put out his proposed budget, um, and that budget included many cuts to the EPA, all sorts of different agencies. But one of the most concerning parts of that budget was the cuts to NOAA. So President Trump uh, proposed a 26% cut to our ocean research budget. Um, that's all done through NOAA. This is just short of a billion dollars in total um, with all these ocean cuts. 
Um, and it's really, really confusing because they say it's all for raising money for defense and that we should shift our spending towards military and defense funding instead of this, uh, the spending on oceans and environmental issues. Um, however, if that's the true purpose, uh, this money's not really going to go very far. So if they use the money to uh, run the Department of Defense, the, the Department of Defense with the NOAA budget, it would only run for a mere 15 hours. So it's not a whole lot of money in terms of the entire fiscal budget for the U.S., um, but they're still trying to get that cut um, and have all these NOAA programs slashed. Yeah, yeah, only, yeah, it sounds like a big deal. Like everyone yeah. has got tightened their belts, mm -hmm. but some waistlines are bigger than others. Yeah. And um, NOAA is a very trim operation because um, it is, it has to go on top of the other obligations like um, paying off the debt and stuff. So there's not a lot of fat to trim in there. And what are some of the programs that, um, and it's also a problem because oceans are public domains. You don't have the business interests who are pulling for this kind of stuff. So it's easy to, to go after that. It doesn't seem to be harming people as much. But it really does. What are some of the programs that would be eliminated by uh, what Trump is calling for? Yeah, so when you're cutting by 26%, there's a lot of programs that are really going to be slashed. And the ones that are the hardest hit are the ones that are eliminated, and that's uh, first off the University Sea Grant Program. So NOAA has, over you know decades, fostered relationships with 33 universities in the U.S. Um, what they've done is been able to partner with these universities to do research, um, really learn about our oceans, um, issue grants to do uh, research on all sorts of different issues, including ocean acidification, um, you know, um, tracking fish, all that. And well, that's, that's right. One of the programs is the, the Sea Grant, the, the beach cleanup program. Yeah. So that's been a big thing here in Massachusetts, and I know in a lot of coastal communities, is the annual Sea Grant beach cleanup programs. Yeah. And so he's calling for just Save money. No Sea Grant yeah. programs. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these Sea Grant programs, they've been run for decades. They've had huge impacts on the community. So we're talking thousands and thousands of jobs, um, impacting thousands of businesses as well. Um, so they've really had a huge effect. And as I said before, Trump wants to completely eliminate that program. Well, what's another program? Another program um, equally as important is the Ocean Acidification Program. Um, so this is a program that really does a lot of research into tracking ocean chemistry, um, providing early warning signs, helping out uh, the, the oyster farms that uh, are really at risk with ocean acidification, and really doing a lot of that research to um, fund the development of, uh, of ways to prevent that from happening and to deacidify our ocean. So again, that's out for being completely eliminated under the Trump budget. And then another one, uh, we have the Climate Program Office. Uh, this is another organization um, that's been out working with businesses, helping communities, um, helping prepare them for drought and water shortages, um, manage the risk to our coasts, and really reduce vulnerability to weather-related disasters. So this is an organization that's really saved lives. Yeah. It had a huge impact in the communities where they're out there actually warning residents about what the disasters could be. Yeah, this is outrageous what he's calling for. Yeah. And we're hoping that more people will join with the thousands that have already signed on to uh, our letter and added their own comments. Uh, so if, you wanna, if you're outraged, mm -hmm. listener, by what you're hearing here, uh, please 
go to www.oceanriver.org. That's our homepage, and you'll see six action items there. And one of them is for uh, the Sea Grant and NOAA Ocean Funding Program. It's got a picture of a whale there. Click on that and follow along with our conversation, but also consider um, adding your words because um, we, it, this, is how, this is what politicians listen to. They need to hear from their constituents. The budget is not made by Trump. The budget is made by Congress. And so we are giving Congress the reasons for standing up to the president. Now, there are also ocean programs that are being reduced that are in... Kanoa's got a lot of programs. Yeah. And so you, you've mentioned some very specific ones that he thought he could just cut away and it wouldn't be noticed. But um, what, what's, being re, what's being reduced here? Yeah, so some other important programs that are being trimmed. We have the National Weather Service as well as the National Marine Fisheries Service. So the National Weather Service, uh, they do a lot of research into weather forecasting. Um, so if you use your phone to check the weather, you go on weather.com, you watch the forecasts on TV, you're being impacted by NOAA and the National Weather Service. So that's being trimmed by 5%. The National Marine Fisheries Service, uh, they, they depend on NOAA satellite information um, to help steward our ocean resources. So both really important programs. In addition, the Office of Weather and Air Quality, uh, they improve forecasts related to hurricanes, floods, natural disasters, and really help prevent these disasters and help vulnerable adults and children uh, avoid air pollution that can be so harmful. And then one last one uh, is the Ocean Exploration and Research Office. Uh, this helps us explore a relatively unknown ocean. So a huge part of our ocean is completely unexplored, and they're out there on ships um, using the newest technology uh, to see what we can find down there in the deep depths of our ocean. Yeah, this is alarming. I mean, yes, financially, the money and the weather services is probably the biggest kahuna there. Yeah. And though it only sounds like 5%, that's a lot of money because those satellites and all that's expensive to run. But the ocean exploration programs, you know, these um, NOAA vessels have gotten tied in through websites right into the classrooms. And so mm -hmm. now you can sit there with the oceanographers and see the sub, uh, the remotely manned uh, vehicles going down and photographing stuff. I mean, that, that's the stuff of epic proportions, is, is this whole discovery stuff that brings us to aquariums and so forth. So it's really, really uh, upsetting that uh, that educational aspect and this important research is being challenged. Um, so, so why should... Um, NOAA be fully funded besides these other regions um, in general, why is it important to us? Yeah, NOAA really is important because whether or not you're a fisherman or a researcher who's being directly impacted or you're a student in the classroom learning, NOAA really has a huge impact on communities all over the U.S. Um, so right now there are 232 co commercially valuable fish populations in the American waters. Uh, these are managed by NOAA, and we're almost there to being fully sustainable in our fisheries in the U.S. And a lot of this is just due to NOAA's work. So we're almost there. Um, it's not the time to be cutting NOAA's budget when they have such important work to finish up. It's really amazing out of, yeah. you know, that they've gotten it down to 28 out of 232 fish stocks yeah. are still being overfished. And mm -hmm. a fish stock is a group of, is a population of one species of fish. So the cod has uh, two fish stocks, the cod in the Gulf of Maine and in, on George's Bank, south of Cape Cod, and so that's two out of the 28, but um, it, 
about 10 years ago was 78 or 74 over fish stocks. And mm-hmm. so we're getting there. Yeah. And, and wh- why spend money on research? Yeah, so another great example of a, um, a success story with NOAA is how they spent funds researching haddock. So NOAA researchers were out observing the fish swimming. Um, they saw cod, they saw flounder, as well as the haddock. And what they were able to see is that as the net approached the haddock, um, they swam to the side while the cod and flounder swam downwards. And so with this knowledge, they were able to then um, take this research and be able to better sustainably fish these haddock, um, knowing how they behave with the nets. Um, they're able to have much less bycatch, much less incidental take of the cod and the flounder when they're really trying to fish the haddock. Um, so this is just one example of a NOAA research program that's actually been able to help fishermen better fish and help them become more sustainable and really help uh, the environment overall. Yes, NOAA manages uh, eight fishery councils around the country, mm-hmm. and often the research money that they get, uh, they'll, they'll employ the fishermen to do the research, because who better to do that? I mean, they've got their own research vessel, but um, they need more data points than just that one vessel, and they need surface truthing and stuff. So when NOAA spends research money on research, it often benefits individual fishermen, and that's very important that we support our fishermen in these dangerous occupations. Um, so, Max, there's been an excellent response to our call for, um, you know, we've been calling on people to comment why they care personally. Politicians don't need to hear what we just told you, that, you know, there's 232 fish species or something, or fish populations. Mm-hmm. What they want to know is how do you and I care about uh, the ocean? Why is this important to us? You know, and why are we just clicking on every possible thing that's upset with government, or do we have a special connection? And so um, you've been looking through the responses, and, and what are you finding? How is that going? Yeah, so we've been truly amazed by the response that we've gotten. Um, so once we've called out the word, um, people from all over the U.S. have written to us talking about why they care about NOAA, um, talking about their past memories and experiences with the water, with fishing, um, you know, just enjoying the beach with their families out in their lake house in summers as a kid. Uh, so we've really heard a lot of great stories. And so what I'm doing is I'm gathering all these comments. I'm then looking through them, correcting any spelling mistakes, um, making sure that all the addresses are correct so that that way we can organize everything by political district, um, as well as just reading every comment, hearing every story, and so that then we can eventually assemble all of this into one packet to distribute to the representatives um, at Congress. So we're really excited to do it. Um, we've heard a lot of great comments um, from all over the U.S. and even the world. Um, we've been filtering out comments from, um, you know, the U.K., Japan, all over the place. Yes, in every state, and I think the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. um, Washington, D.C. Yeah. So people say 53 American places. They go, no, it's only 50 states. But, yeah. you know, we got 53 there. We haven't heard from Guam. If you're listening <laughs> from Guam, drop us a line. Um, but, um, yeah, I really think that the most important thing to take away is just you see how many people truly have been affected by NOAA. Is that even though you would think, oh, it's only the scientists and the fishermen, those are the only ones who care. But it's not. Everyone enjoys the beach. Everyone wants clean water. A lot of people eat seafood, and they want that seafood to be sustainable, and they want it to be cheap. 
So a lot of people are really being affected by this program, and it's just unbelievable to think that such a program that's had such a huge effect on communities all over the place would be cut. Um, and even though, like we said, cutting it's not going to save a whole lot of money in the long run. It's a small portion of the budget, but it has such a huge effect, and it's important that we keep that funded. It has a huge effect on us beach walkers and uh, uh, ocean users of any kind of recreation. Um, a lot of the letters, I, a lot of the comments I read were people remembering the wonderful times they had at the ocean, on the beach, and how they expect it to be like that when they bring their children or friends or grandchildren to the ocean. And yeah. it's the government's responsibility to work with all the ocean users to make sure that the... Um, the beaches are as we remember them, the waterways, the ability to catch fish, the ability to recreate. You know, we don't come out dripping with tar on us or mm -hmm. too many tar balls on our feet, you know, needing that um, citrus stuff, citrus salt to get the tar off and stuff. Um, it's a real government responsibility to keep this common resource. This, yeah. um, the oceans, you know, if the government doesn't help, I mean, states are doing a lot, mm -hmm. but states, need the help of the federal government. So NOAA works collaboratively with states. Um, but so this is really great work that, you're, that we're doing, and uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back, and uh, we'll have some more information about what's going to happen in Washington next week. Thanks, Mac. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization 
dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. We're back here at World Headquarters in Harvard Square, Cambridge, Massachusetts, up here on the third floor. You managed to climb the stairs okay, Max, Yes, right? I did. Yeah. So um, we urge you and invite you to uh, visit our website, www.oceanriver.org. And um, on our homepage, you'll see there are six campaigns we're working on, and one of them has got this cool picture of a humpback whale Mother and calf, or the calf's got his head poking up right next to the dorsal fin of the mother in front of it. And then in front of that, I managed to capture a little storm petrel, Wilson's petrel, just walking on the water like, um, that's why they call it a petrel, from St. Petersburg, bird, because they uh, walk on the water. So please click on the, um, the, the whale and calf and... Uh, and have more information about why it's so important to fund uh, NOAA. And, um, and also, you can click on it again, and you'll come to our classy.org page where you can see the people that are contributing $5, $10, $50. Uh, a little contribution like that makes a big difference. Uh, we just need a few more donors to make everything work right for our, our trip next week. So please, oceanriver.org. I'm at. Yeah, so shifting gears from the NOAA talk, uh, let's hear about the campaign to, uh, to save the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. How is that campaign going up? Yeah, this is really taking up, picking up speed and uh, becoming a significant and very um, uh, obvious um, uh, effort. Uh, the Ocean River Institute is a member of the Great Waters Coalition, and so... Um, uh, we, the Ocean River Institute, we represent the Gulf of Maine, and I get on the phone, monthly phone calls with the Mississippi River guy, the Ohio River guy, Chesapeake Bay, you know, these different watershed groups, and one of them is Florida. And on the call uh, last fall, uh, Manly Fuller uh, from the um, Florida Wildlife uh, Federation um, t- mentioned to me that there were troubles with the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. And it just came up in passing, so I followed up with Manley and learned that, um, that the South Florida Water Management District it has threatened to close down the Arthur R. Marshall Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge that's in Palm Beach County, Florida. And the reason they're considering this is that well, they have the power because they have the lease. They own the property, 
and they, they're leasing it to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and they're threatening to cancel the lease unless what they call their tenant increases the federal expenditures, in other words, pays more, to control these exotic invasive plants, notably Ligodium or Old World Climbing Fern that is taking over the refuge. And the, um, the feds are spending more money on that problem in that refuge than anywhere else. But, and it's more or less being matched by the state, but it's just not enough. And so they, um, they want to see more happen there or else. And um, so we uh, launched our campaign in coordination with a number of Florida organizations. So basically, you know, they filled in the details and we did timing and press releases and stuff. But, um, but we're the only national group that, that makes this a national problem. So now you were fortunate enough to be able to actually head down to Blockhatchee and visit. So why don't you tell us about that experience? Yeah. What was that like? What did you see? Well, I was good to my local New England friends. I waited until April <laughs> before I went down to Florida to visit it, which meant it was spring, which was really exciting because all these birds are staging, mostly waders, are staging in the north part to um, move south into the Everglades mm-hmm. or vice versa. I don't know. Apparently, it's a big staging area, and there's fabulous birds. Um, so I, uh, I met with Ralph Olson, and he's the Lockahatchee manager, and I also spent time, we've been talking with ahead of time, with uh, Eleanor Williams, and she's the president of Friends of the Arthur R. Marshall Wakahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. And it's important to call it the Arthur R. Marshall because Mrs. Marshall might be listening, and it's <laughs> important to uh, remember all the wonderful efforts that uh, um, Arthur Marshall did in establishing this National Wildlife Refuge. I mean, it's a real tribute to him that this incredible resource is there today. So, uh, Ralph arranged for me to meet a ranger at 8 in the morning um, who took me out in an airboat. So it was really cool. We get over the berm there, and there's this stretch of water, and, um, you know, put a life jacket on. So the airboat, you know, is this flat boat with this high chair, and then even higher is the chair for the operator. And it's way up high because there's this, like, fan with, I guess the blade is like six feet, so they're like the height is like 12 feet, you know, because it's in a cage and stuff. And so it's a, I was worried about being a tippy boat, and he's worrying you about that, but it's remarkably pretty stable. He's a good operator. And um, so off we went um, because it's all prairie grass meadows, and so there's, you know, like an inch of water. In other places, there's quite a bit of water, but in the channel... Um, but we just skidded out over across the marsh, and, and uh, there are more alligators in the Lockahatchee than any other area like it, uh, certainly in Florida. Um, and, uh, and Ralph was careful to say, not the greatest biomass of alligators, but the most jaws per square inch or, you know, per, you know, per square foot, and you don't put your feet in there. And so the gators are trying to get out of the way of this, of this airboat, which could just ride over them, but they can't push down into the black mud because the mud's so soft. So they can't get up and walk away. They have to squiggle and wiggle and kind of flop, you know, out of the, out of the way. So that was really pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, and we cleared through um, 
a brush, uh, a, saw, a sawgrass ridge, there'd be these partings in the ridge, and he would just bust right through them, and then um, skitter the boat over to this to this tree island. That um, so you get these raised parts of the uh, Makahatchee that the trees are established on, and some of the parts are just mats floating. So it's like a quaking bog. I didn't get out of the, I didn't get out of the boat. Believe me, I didn't get out <laughs> of the boat. But um, he, he pulled us right up in front of this mass of, of trees, except they were all dead. It was just like this vine grows up and um, smothers the, the tree. The, the trees are harmed by the blockage of light, and then the weight of all these vines causes the trees to crater in you know, a cave in under the weight. And uh, this was an area that they had eradicated, so it was all dead. And the way they eradicate is they have five, there were all these trailers in the park, in the parking lot when I went there and stuff. And so they have uh, five airboats that are bigger than the one I am because each one carries an operator and five workers. So it's 25 workers that climb out of the boat and have a machete in one hand and a, um, a backpack with um, a, um, a pesticide, uh, herbicide chemical that's trying to be very specific to killing the old climbing fern, the old world climbing fern. Uh, and uh, so they have to step into this alligator water and walk up onto the shore in a line, and uh, with one hand they're chopping uh, the... Um, with a machete, like they're, they're chopping the, the upper parts, and with their, the hose hand, they are uh, spraying the, the chopped uh, root, uh, you know, the stems that are sticking up that they've just cut. And in this way, they're able to kill it, um, but it's really dense going. And the worry is not the crocodiles. The worries are um, bee stings oh, wow. and allergies to insects. Um, that, you know, if there's an allergic reaction, they have to get them out by helicopter. Uh, this is, the problem is this is an enormous area, and these places can only be accessed by these airboats. And so it's very worker-intensive, and the, uh, this beautiful little climbing fern that looks so good in people's pots and their uh, houses um, is it, insidious, it, insidious, it just it comes back in three to six months. So they have to go back again and, and, and work it again repeatedly. So you can't just go in once and think it's taken care of. They, they have to go back annually or, or more frequently to, uh, to do that. So they have not been able to do all the areas. And um, so it's just a, a phenomenal problem. Yeah, now aside from the alligators that you talked about, Tell us a little bit about the other wildlife in the area, the birds, yeah. all sorts of different wildlife. Exactly. we got birds and mammals and uh, reptiles and amphibians. Um, I did see a turtle when I was walking the day before, even before, uh, but uh, the, the waders are incredible. Um, I'm not used to seeing um, glossy ibises, these dark birds. That There are some that sat down in Massachusetts on the way north in May, so it's like, Whoa! So I was taking lots of pictures of those guys, and I actually got a picture of a glossy ibis with a great blue heron and uh, uh, probably a white, a white heron or a white egret. 
Um, not a snowy egret, something big, and not a cattle egret. Um, but uh, so the, the apex uh, cool bird in in the um, Lackahatchee is the snail kite, and we were able to um, come across a snail kite. There's one part that Andy knew, the ranger knew, that the kite tends to habitat uh, inhabit, and uh, we 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 went to that area on the way out, and it was nowhere to be seen. But on the way in. Um, there he was sitting on, on the prairie marsh, right there down on the ground, and um, this gorgeous gray um, with a white tail on his band, uh, tail band, um, raptor uh, that eats these little snails. And so they're trying to encourage the, the proliferation of snails down, uh, water snails in there. And um, we, we brought the boat in closer and, and closer, and finally he just took flight and just flew a little bit away and stuff. Fabulous, fabulous birds. Uh, I mentioned the alligators. They also have deer. Okay. So we, we did see a couple of places that the deer um, hang out on the tree islands um, right on the edge because they, they want to get their hoofs out of the, the prairie grass, which is wet, and yet they can't get into the density. It looks to me like they can't get into the density, but maybe when they're in there, I don't see them. So I'm so <laughs> standing on the outside. Um, but, uh, yeah, the deer there, too, is just, just great. There are bobcats that go through there. Of course, I didn't see any bobcat. Um, and then driving, leaving the, um, the refuge, um, I crossed the street or across of this main street, uh, busy road, um, was a, another uh, canal or ditch. And then the raised land above where there's a nursery, uh, there was an iguana walking the shoreline there. So iguanas have come back in big time, according to Ralph uh, Olson. Uh, they're, they're basically a nuisance animal now. They're like raccoons up here, but there's so many iguanas. I thought I was seeing a dinosaur. <laughs> I was pretty psyched about that. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit more about how this climbing fern can be brought under control? What needs to happen for all this to be yeah. eradicated? Right. So the bits they're doing isn't enough. Okay. And despite, you know, this, the state putting in 2.5 million and the uh, feds putting in ab- about the same or, or 3 million. I get different reports from different sides yeah. about other reports, but um, it, it, it's just not enough because um, it's such a labor intensive process that we need to raise more money to do that. And so that's really what's precipitating all this bit about kicking the feds out is that, um, uh, they they want to get more money into that, and so, yeah. but that's the wrong way to go about it because the Department of Interior cannot go to Congress and say give us more money. Congress tells them how much money they got to do, and and then they try to make do with the most money and stuff. Yeah. And so this is exactly what the Ocean River Institute does. So um, Ralph, the um, uh, manager of the Lackahatchee, thinks that um, five or ten million a year for about five years would, if not eradicate, well, it wouldn't eradicate, but it would bring it under control mm-hmm. so that then about half that, about the current spending could continue, um, you know, the current budget could work out uh, moving forward. And if not, uh, it's going to get even worse and worse. So, okay. so, um, so that's, um, so our plan is to, um, 
is to do two steps. First of all, we are going to, uh, I'm going to stop by the um, interior department next week and deliver to the secretary of interior. I probably won't see him, but I will meet with senior staff and deliver our letter with uh, more than, you know, lots of comments about um, please, please, please recognize that the, the Lockahatchee is a national treasure and um, continue operating as a national wildlife refuge, which he will do. This is his, he, he is a real sportsman and I'm really pleased with uh, Trump's choice of, of this, uh, of Ryan C.K. as the interior secretary. I think that uh, uh, that was a good choice there and he, because he totally values national wildlife refuges. And so uh, we want to shore up his ability to keep that going. Yeah. And then, uh, while I'm in Washington, I will begin speaking with uh, legislators about, um, uh, Florida legislators, about how about a federal bill to allocate, you know, funds for treating. This is a natural disaster. I mean, this is piece of nature, this old world climbing fern and some other invasive plants that have just gotten out of control, and they are seriously damaging uh, much like the storm damages. I mean, you see this wreckage that goes on for many, I don't know if it's miles, but it's many acres because uh, you can kind of see, you know, I saw one area where there's a ring of healthy trees and then behind it you could just see it was all cratered and back in there dead stuff. So, so we're going to um, be working with, um, so it's a two, that's a two-step operation yeah. uh, of trying. So we need, yeah, so uh, I see we should take a break and then we'll come back and talk about what's going to happen in Washington to make this all happen. Sounds great. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate4oceans.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome back. I'm Max Wagner, and I'm here with Dr. Rob Moyer, discussing the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge. So, Rob, you run the Ocean River Institute, which is here in Cambridge. So, how did you, or why is the Ocean River Institute so uniquely situated to save Lockahatchee when we're up here in Cambridge and they're down there in Southern Florida? Good question. Who would have thought it? You know, everyone <laughs> thinks I'm trying to get a hot vacation or an airboat ride. I mean, that was really the ride of a lifetime. Um, this is what the Ocean River Institute does, is that we listen locally. We're looking for opportunities where uh, people from far away can help make a difference in saving um, oceans or um, Everglades or watersheds. Uh, we're looking for ecosystems in need of, uh, you know, where, uh, and, and what we do is we find voices from all over and uh, people from all kinds of walks of life um, speak out about why they care about stuff. And most people think, I mean, and so this is all to influence federal politicians. And normally the politicians think, you know, that um, everything's local. So, you know, and, and actually the locals tend to take everything for granted, the environment for granted. And it's the, the foreigners, it's the vacationers, that expect, you know, to find pristine uh, beaches in this case or pristine um, or being able to go and have a picnic on the Lockahatchee. Uh, we have lots of comments from people who associate uh, the Lockahatchee with their family because that would be the family event, would be to go to the Lockahatchee to have a picnic, to go on the boardwalk, on a walk on the boardwalk through the cypress swamp. I mean, these wonderful old cypress trees with black water, you know, around the, the bases of these trees that are thicker at the bottom and then taper upwards in the gray, shaggy kind of bark stuff. Um, and the butterflies around there was just phenomenal. And, of course, 
these are kind of family experiences. So, um, so that's what we do. So we're a national organization. We're networked nationally to hear from, um, so we can bring many different voices. And the decision makers uh, appreciate hearing stuff they can relate to, yeah. and they don't need the elevator speech given to them again. That if a letter from one constituent, it doesn't really carry more weight if it's got 160 people signing on to it with PhDs after their name. Um, the, the, you know, these are intelligent politicians, but they uh, often, by putting in your own words, it, um, it gives them a different perspective, yeah. or it gives them a different way through to uh, why they have to do that. So what can anyone listening do to help out? How can they participate? Yes. So we benefit from the voices of the listeners. Mm -hmm. And so there are two things you can do. One is you, and both of them involve going to www.oceanriver.org, and um, you can participate. Uh, you can, um, you know, so lend your voice. Take a moment to write something. And don't worry, you and I are going to read it first. Mm -hmm. And if the person needs help, we're, we're happy to help them with that. Um, we won't let you sound bad. <laughs> and if you want to just swear at somebody, this isn't the place to do it because we're not going to let that stuff go through because um, people do read these. And, and so um, it, it just means so much to the politicians to hear actual words. They rarely hear from their constituents on other than the top three issues. And conversely, I always get my meetings because they'd much rather talk about the Lockahatchee or oceans than war taxes and health care. Mm -hmm. So by staying by voice on topic and by voice being personal, so we encourage people to be descriptive so that the reader knows the person knows of what they speak about. And the second thing is we need a few dollars to help deliver this, to put this stuff together, to pay, you know, for your hourly internship uh, rates and stuff because... We don't have some big benefactors. We're not like those groups that have a bunch of wealthy people that decided they're going to solve this environmental problem and they're going to throw money at it. Uh, we are there to respond. I have a very forgiving board because they don't know what we're going to be doing a year from now because we don't know what the issues will be as opposed to we're going to solve this issue and this is how we're going to go to it. So um, two things. Um, participate. Well, three things. Participate make a donation, and then spread the word because at the end of the day, it's the relationships we build that keep us going from one battle to the next because with each one, it gets more thrilling because there's more people involved, more perspective, more robust, robust solutions. All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about the trip? So you're going to be bringing this letter to Secretary Zinke? Oh, our trip to Washington. Yeah, the trip to Washington. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that's going to work yeah. and what you're doing. Right. So um, we have a, a day workshop in, uh, with the Blue Vision Conference at the Carnegie uh, Center uh, on 16th Street and um, where Blue Visions is, uh, Blue Frontiers is, is located. And then, um, well, maybe we're going to be at Georgetown. I don't know. But, but we're going to spend some, all these different groups are going to get a chance to come together and clarify our points about the ocean conservation issues to take up the hill. So I will be, um, and you're going to fly in Wednesday morning, yep. but um, 
before you fly in, I'll probably be meeting with the uh, 11 other people and, and divvying up, okay, this is what you're passionate about. But each person will only have a minute to talk, you know, because we have about 20 minutes. It's every half hour and, and, and 20 minutes, um, probably with the uh, legislative aid. So, um, so Max, you're going to fly down, and I've uh, got the first flight out of Boston, like 6 a.m., <laughs> you know, and uh, so that, because we're going to assemble on the Senate Hill, on the Sen- in the Senate buildings on Capitol Hill um, at 8 in the morning, and uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island and uh, perhaps another senator or two will help orient us all uh, at a meeting. And then at 9 o'clock, we'll break out into um, state chapters um, or regional groups. And so you and I and the Massachusetts people and one person from Rhode Island, um, maybe if you're listening, come on, you can be more, <laughs> um, will... Um, I think in the morning we're going to do a Senate meeting. So we will um, meet with um, Senator Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren's chief of staff, Bruno Fritas, and, and share with him our concerns on ocean conservation uh, and particularly fully funding NOAA. Uh, and and, and uh, Bruno will update us with uh, how the ocean-related issues that Senator Warren is working on are, are progressing. And uh, similarly, we'll probably meet with Anna Unruh-Cohen in Markey's office, and then um, uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse's office, uh, and, uh, oh, and and Bernie Sanders' office, uh, because we've got no one from Vermont, so we will once again uh, drop in on on their office. And then uh, later in the day, we'll see Patrick Leahy's office which, um, as I said earlier, is very exciting because uh, Patrick Leahy is um, the senior Democrat on the Appropriations Committee. And he's a great ocean champion. He's been working really hard about um, reducing harmful algal blooms in Lake Champlain. And I didn't mention this, I should have, that NOAA includes the Great Lakes. We consider that our north coast. And so when we're talking about NOAA funding, we're talking about the Vermont Sea Grant Program, as well as the um, Champaign, Illinois Sea Grant Program, and and um, you know those northern waters and stuff. Uh, and then in the afternoon, we will um, be meeting with the Mass. I'll be meeting, and you and I will be meeting with Massachusetts Congress delegations from Massachusetts. Uh, and I I always like to start with uh, Becky Cairn, who works for uh, Congresswoman uh, Nikki Songus because Songus is on the Natural Resources Committee. And so um, Becky is very up on what are the natural resource issues. Uh, they put through a Scenic River Act, the Nashua River. Uh, Becky's very involved with the uh, reauthorizing Madison Stevens fisheries law and stuff. So it's always good to meet with her to get the inner workings uh, on that issue so that when the other uh, legislative aides uh, meet with us, we can bring them up to speed on that stuff. Um, I, I see these meetings with the legislative aides remind me of parent-teacher conferences <laughs> because I get to learn about what are the interests and um, obstacles to passage and concerns of the congressman. Um, and, and so, you know, we can see how, how to move forward on, on those kinds of issues and where there's just, no, it's not going to happen, you know. And, and that's, 
that's fair, you know, because they, they, the first thing they have to do is represent their constituents. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting. And then on Friday, you will be meeting with the, uh, the Department of Interior? Right. So want to tell us a little bit how that will work with delivering that letter to Secretary Zinke? Yeah, well, um, that's probably going to be pretty anticlimactic. I don't know if I'll get to meet with um, um, uh, usually um, I arrange to meet with somebody. Um, and, and so like the House meetings, if it's a new senator or congressman, I, I call the office and say, who's the person working on environment? Um, and in this case, I'll, I'll call uh, the Secretary of Interior's office and say, um, I, I'd like to meet with the secretary about uh, talking about the Lakahashi National Wildlife Refuge. Um, who would be the right person to, to, to meet with about that? And they might suggest somebody from who's more intimate with the National Wildlife Refuge mm -hmm. program. Yeah. That would be appropriate. Um, or we just, yeah, but I always get a card. I always get a contact person because then, you know, for the rest of the year or for the rest of the campaign or for the rest of my life, you know, um, I can contact, you know, we're in, now we know who the people are. And so we, we yeah. are in contact by email. Yeah. Uh, so when I was seeing, we're seeing Andrea in uh, Leahy's office, I said to her, well, I last time I saw you, you were expecting a baby because she looked like she had a pumpkin around her. <laughs> and, stuff. and she goes, well, that would have been two years ago, Rob, because she's two years old now, my daughter running around stuff. So, um, that's what makes it so fulfilling is, is uh, building relationships with people. Even those who, you know, one senator I asked to, um, would you let the EPA regulate? And he said, no, um, can't do that because the EPA caused the Gulf oil spill. Well, you don't go ballistic and fall on your sword then and there. Uh -huh. And so instead I said, then how's your family? And so that meant that, because he was just repeating what his boss had told him to say when asked to do that. This is the party line. And that way I was able to come back six months later and say, Senator, would you permit, how, what would you think of 12% of offshore oil revenue going for um, ocean conservation trust fund, just like the mass environmental trust fund that you supported as a state senator? And um, I didn't have to say the last part, but he, yeah, I did say just like the mass, but I'd have to say that I know he knows he supported as a state senator. And uh, again, he couldn't say yes or no, but he could say to me, Rob, I'm really proud of my daughter working for the Animal Humane Society so that I know that these, um, so these congressmen and senators will really want to make a difference, and they want to serve their constituents. And so if you make it easy, like I don't want to meet slime on the beach with my grandchildren, they will look after that, and that will mean more to them than the lobbyists because this is a third-tier issue. It's not like the main issues of a lot of this. I hear we're out of time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been great, though. Thank you, Max, for um, and for your listeners. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, please visit our website, www.oceanriver.org, and help us save the Lockahatchee National Wildlife Refuge and help us fully fund the nation's ocean programs. Max, thanks a lot. Thank you. And... Uh, for those who are listening, please take care of yourself, and then, it, then take, try to take care of the planet, too. Until next time, thanks. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. 
Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Rock, rock, rock.